the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I see my name in shiny lights, yeah, a different city every night, oh, I, I swear, the world better prepare for when I'm a billionaire. It's time to get down to business on the weekend's number one business program. Known as the king of networking, your host, Shalom Klein, has worked with thousands of entrepreneurs and created countless jobs. So, to success, let's get down to business. And indeed, we are all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship and business. We talk a lot about business here. You are on with Get Down to Business, and I'm your host, Shalom Klein. Remember, you can always download podcasts from Get Down to Business. On my website at ShalomKlein.com. And while you are there, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at ShalomKlein. It's going to be a jam-packed week of content and information you will not want to miss. It's a live show. You can call in 312-642-5600. And remember, we are powered by our good friends at Tandem HR, your solution center. Give them a call, 630-928-0510, 630-928-0510, or visit their website, TandemHR.com. So I'm thrilled to be joined here in studio by my friend, Jennifer Amder Spitz. Thank you so much for coming in. You have helped uh, countless businesses get started, develop their uh, communications, public relations strategy, and um, and hopefully we'll get some tips out of you today. So, uh, Jennifer, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you, Shalom. I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. So, uh, as our listeners know, I love to get to know the person behind the microphone before we share tips, and I know that we will have an opportunity to do that. Uh, I'm curious... Uh, your story. I know you've had a number of different roles, a number of different positions. You uh, at one point uh, had a uh, state position in communication, but uh, now uh, certainly far more, uh, you could probably have your your wings spread a little bit further by helping more businesses. I know you're very passionate about the nonprofit community. Tell us your story. Thanks, Shalom. Um, Well, I've been um, in business with the Amdur Spitz and Associates for 25 years. So I've been working with clients on kind of mission-driven strategic communications. Uh, Before that, I worked at the state, and I was the chief communications officer for the Illinois Department of Public Aid, which did all health and human services for Illinois. And I've worked at another big major um, communications firm called Debris and Marsteller. And before that, I was in the nonprofit sector. So I've kind of been a nonprofit uh, corporate and uh, government before I started my firm. Um, and most of the stuff that I've been doing since I've been working um, with Andrew Spitz and Associates is, is really working with foundations and nonprofits and kind of social enterprise businesses where the story is a little more complicated and um, there's more of a social impact or a, a bigger um, story to the win, to the communications than, um, you know, it's, it's business, but it's also with a, a bigger social mission. And I know, uh, Jennifer, we, uh, before we came on the air, we talked about how you are uh, used to putting people on the radio. Uh, this, is, uh, this is new for you to, to actually be uh, on the other side of the microphone, which uh, it's certainly fun for me to, uh, to bring somebody on that, that knows how to tell a story. So tonight it's all about telling your own story. 
Um, but I, I'd love to learn a little bit more about your approach, your strategy, when you work with one of the many uh, companies or organizations. Um, how do you get that, that, that message out, and how do you help them to reach the masses? Well, you know, it, it, it all comes to me with, um, you know, a business or a nonprofit has kind of an, a strategy or an issue or a problem that they're trying to solve. So, you know, whether it's branding um, and, you know, when sometimes foundations or nonprofits are rebranding or they're trying to create a new space for themselves in the world. So it's, it's like understanding what, what change they want to make in the world and then how they can tell their story in a way that um, kind of changes hearts and minds and aligns that to happen for them. And uh, many of our listeners are uh, smaller entrepreneurs. They may, they may just be opening their doors, just uh, putting up their website, just really starting to, uh, to create their brand. Do you believe that the same uh, tactics, the same strategy applies to them as it does to some of the larger brands that we all know and love? Um, absolutely. I mean, everybody has a story to tell. And I think that, you know, as media is changing, as the landscape is changing, we get so much more of our information through, you know, various outlets. It's not it's not just what's in the news anymore. It's it's um, digital media. It's social media. It's content marketing. And so I think it's more and more important for all communicators to be authentic in their story and to tell to tell stories that impact their, their listeners, their audiences Um more, th- more than really just kind of sell, sell, sell. People, um, especially entrepreneurs who are trying to break into um, a market, really sh- should be thinking about their customers and what their customers want to know, what their customers want to hear from them. The hard sell message isn't really the way to go. And uh, Jennifer, you have been doing this for a long time. Um, you've been president of Amder Spitz and Associates for 25 years. Uh, during that time, have helped uh, countless uh businesses and organizations and the people behind the businesses and organizations, which I know you, uh, you know and love. Um, but I'm curious, what has changed um, over that period of time? Media has evolved. What lessons remain um, true from the time that you got started and what have you had to adapt uh, over time? Oh, well, the landscape is changing. Like, it, amazing. <laughs> the difference between the way the communications um, field has changed. Um, You know, when I first started off, it used to be if you got your client on the front page of the Chicago Tribune or or even, you know, the New York Times or, you know, CBS Evening News, that was huge. Everybody had the same story. There was one one narrative that kind of was what people were hearing in the news. And that was a huge win. And now it's like we all get our news from so many different sources. We have many influencers in our lives. And so it's not like one holy grail anymore. Now it really is a matter of really understanding your audience, which has always been important, but it's even more important today than it ever has been, particularly for your listeners who are small businesses or trying to reach a certain niche audience, because you can't be all things to all people. It really is about understanding who your audience is, where they go for information, and what kinds of, of information you can give them that will be valuable to them. And that's how you build the relationship with your and engage with your audiences. Have you had any uh, really unexpected experiences over time? Any of those uh, stories that you can share with us of either stories that, that you uh, that you 
pitched and uh, and and you didn't realize how far it would go. I know you're you're passionate about all of your clients, but uh, tell us a little bit about one of the those success stories or surprises along the way. Oh, that's such a good question. Um, a surprise. Well, sometimes um, it's really like a journey. So um, I can tell you the story. I also make independent documentary films, and right. I use I use video production in a lot of the work that I do with my clients. But um, a, a surprise that really kind of took off was um, uh, it was a very personal story, and that was my son got sick eating chicken contaminated with a superbug, and antibiotics failed. And so in that quest for understanding what happened and, and how it could happen, this was back in 2006, and we didn't really know where our food came. You know, we, didn't, we weren't paying attention to these things. I didn't know that um, animals were fed antibiotics on the farm. So that whole journey of understanding antibiotic resistance in meat, and then it, it, the, it snowballed into an independent feature documentary film that I made with my husband called Food Patriots. Wow. So that you know, kind of snowballed into a lot of conversations and partnerships with organizations who are working on the, in the food system. And, um, and, you know, turned into real social change in terms of, you know, now you can go to the store and, and you can buy chicken that's raised without antibiotics. That's incredible. Um, and we are uh, approaching the end of our, our time, but um, I'm curious, are there any industries in particular that uh, Amder Spitz works with um, or, uh, or any industries that you perhaps avoid? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we work a lot of, with a lot of healthcare and education, um, arts and culture, and in environmental issues. Um, we're working on a, a big kind of initiative to kind of build a movement towards changing the way that um, people with cancer have, get treated. Um, so it's called Supportive Oncology, and we're working with a foundation called the Coleman Foundation and a network of 35 hospitals and medical centers around Chicago. Incredible. And these providers are doing great work helping to address all of the psychosocial, emotional needs of patients. And we're trying to leverage that change by reaching other oncologists and expanding those practices and making that more a part of what people expect. Well, I, I hear care. how passionate you are about uh, making an impact and spreading the story. So it really is a pleasure to uh, help you uh, share your story with our listeners. Um, how can people get a hold of you and uh, perhaps uh, talk about uh, spreading their message? Um, well, probably the best way to reach me is through email. It's jennifer at amderspitz.com. It's Jennifer with two N's at A-M-D-U-R-S-P-I-T-Z dot com. Well, you definitely want to get a hold of Jennifer Amderspitz, um, a fantastic storyteller um, and, and quite passionate about um, each and every one of your clients. But um, uh, incredible story. We'll be sure to have you back on the air real soon um, to, uh, to talk more about some of those examples. Coming up after the break, uh, I'll be joined by Johnny Immerman, uh, the founder of Immerman's Angels and truly an amazing entrepreneur uh, and also an incredible story. Uh, you don't want to miss that. Chicago, don't touch that dial. You're listening to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. And we will be right back. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. We are powered by Tandem HR, your solution center. Check them out, tandemhr.com. We give them the call, 630 I'm thrilled to be joined by uh, the man, the myth, the legend, uh, the founder of Immerman's Angels, um, Johnny Immerman himself. And uh, Johnny, is, you are now involved in a new entrepreneurial 
uh, venture, of course, a cause behind it. Uh, Johnny, welcome to the program. Shalom. Thanks so much for having me, buddy. I'm sorry I was trying to come to the studio in time a little bit late, but... But I'm calling in. Great to uh, great to chat with you, buddy. Absolutely, Always. we've we've been connected for uh, for a long time and uh, long long overdue to, uh, to 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 get you here on the air. Uh, so, Johnny, before we talk about uh, uh, your new venture, which I'm very very excited about, it's uh, it's pretty cool. I, I just want to talk about you for a moment, uh, Johnny. Your name is. Um, is certainly uh, well known in uh, not just the Chicagoland area, but really around the country, around the globe, as the founder of uh, Immigrant Angels. Um, really, the story behind it, um, because you were fighting cancer at age 26. Let's uh, briefly talk a little bit about that. Well, thank you for your kind words. Yeah, I'm a very lucky person. I was uh, 26 years old and uh, in my mid 20s, living in Michigan, where I grew up, well before I moved here to Chicago. And I uh, get diagnosed with testicular cancer, out of the blue, chemo surgeries and so forth. I had the best mom. I had great friends. I had a lot of support. But I didn't know even one person who was a young adult in the 20s who'd survived any type of cancer. And it was isolating and I was scared. And I just I didn't know who to really talk to from an insider standpoint who could really give me advice and connection and knowledge about the road ahead. And we created Emmerman Angels. Once we finished with a group of survivors, you know, as you know, everything gets done as a team. We just have an incredible team and uh, almost 10,000 teammates on this team. They're volunteers, they're survivors, and they all give back one-to-one to be a mentor to someone fighting the exact same cancer today. So if a 26-year-old in Iowa, in London, Paris, or South Africa is diagnosed, we're in 93 countries so far, diagnosed with any form of cancer, we look through our network of survivors, someone who's been through it, and they can walk them through chemo, surgeries, treatment, what to eat, how, when to work out, what, how maybe it shouldn't be working out. All the questions that this person has um, going approaching this scary fight of cancer in that first you know, week connect to a survivor who's a veteran who's been there. Well, God bless you for, for what you're doing. Um, just incredible how you've taken your story and uh, now... Uh, quite literally, there are thousands of, uh, of of survivors that are paired up with cancer fighters, and it's just incredible. And you have continued, obviously, to uh, through the organization, um, a, be an incredible advocate and uh, and 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 fighter yourself. And you've taken that to the next level with uh, with a new venture, uh, which uh, which I want to talk about. Uh, Johnny, tell us about the new uh, new company. Absolutely. Thank you, Shalom. You know, and if anyone knows someone sick with cancer, it's free. We're, we're blessed to be the largest network in the world, Emmerman Angels of Survivors. If you forget the name Emmerman Angels, don't worry. Just type uh, one-on-one cancer support. Google gives us a grant, so we get free uh, keywords, basically, uh, $10,000 a month in credits. So if you just remember that and you send them to our network, emmermanangels.org, I-M-E-R, org will help them. Or cancer survivors or family members who would like to give back and be part of the, the solution and, and be a mentor, we're always looking for more, even though we have a lot of great ones. You know, there's always room for the team to get bigger and bigger. So thank you for that. We just want to help people. It's free. We want to give back. That's what Immerman Angels is about. Um, and really through Immerman Angels, Shalom, we realized how we got the word out and how we grew this network was our friends and our supporters rocked the logo on their T-shirts and sometimes their hats. 
And we started making more and more stuff because our people just seemed to want it and wanted to talk about it and were proud to serve. And so basically what we did was we created Clothes Talk, which is uh, we create apparel stores for free for any charity that's awesome. They can apply to us. It's CLOZtalk.com. They can apply to us on our website. And we have 65 charities so far all the way from 1871 to Matter, Open Heart Magic, Bright Pink, groups like Sharsheret out of New York. Um, they can be anywhere. Muscular Dystrophy Association is with us. It's free for the charity. And what we do is we want to design their apparel, make it higher quality, sell it online for them. But we do all the we take on all the costs. It is we the, the it, it's the coolest, Johnny, and and. Um... It's, you know, I, I was just having a conversation the other day about some of the large companies that um, that we see out there, and it's really hysterical to watch uh, how people go out and they buy apparel with uh, that company's name. Essentially, you're paying to do the advertising for that company, and I don't even need to na- name the names because, uh, because uh, you know, the, it, it's out there all, all the time. What you're doing is really you've, you've launched, the, you, you, you've, you've gone on to that effort, and I know Imran Angels, uh, you have your, your, your brand that's out there, whether it's wristbands or shirts or hats or all sorts of other apparel, and you clearly, you're, uh, you're, you're trying to help other organizations um, do the same thing. Uh, when was that aha moment for you, Johnny, where you realized, gosh, we can do a really awesome job for other great causes? Well, thank you for your kind word, Shalom. You know how we realized it is because we messed it up for so many years. We like all charities. We get it. We're nonprofit people at the core. You know, after 12 plus years in the nonprofit social impact space, we messed up charity apparel, just like I think a lot of charities. You know, we got the $2 stuff because it was cheaper, trying to save money. Of course, these are donor dollars, and you're so careful with every dollar from a donor. And in addition, our marketing know-how was not always the best. And the logo, we put too many things on there. And after messing it up for so many years, we finally realized that the simple, the black and white worked the best, um, the logo clean, higher quality stuff, that that's what our people continue to wear them over and over. And we got the repetition. So the aha moment was really um, once our team started doing it, started really asking for it, and people telling us that, hey, I wore this at the gym yesterday. And like three people came up to me and asked me, what it is and and they were curious and I got in conversations and I met people and I made friends and we talked about positive stuff like charities we realized hey there's something bigger here we can scale this up and we really realized like it does bring people together it builds community you spark a conversation it automatically steers the conversation to something positive because all of our 65 plus charities are all have great critical missions that matter and do good in the world and we realized that, hey, they just need help, but we don't want to take anything from the charity because the charities don't have a lot of money, if any money, and they're all overworked and underpaid. This is the nature of nonprofits. We know this firsthand. So this way, they have no risk, no cost. We build out their web store, and it's our job to get people inspired about each cause and then to believe in it, become an ambassador, and you are volunteering by buying and wearing their logo, whether it's a hat, a t-shirt, or yoga pants, or a track jacket or hoodie, you are volunteering and spreading the word. And we really believe awareness is the key to charities 
long-term growth. Well, Johnny, while, while we're talking, I've, I've just heard from several organizations um, by text and by email that uh, are getting on the website and starting to submit the applications. Um, we've got about a minute uh, remaining, and I'm just curious, before we, of course, share the website, which I want to make sure we do, um, I'm curious uh, to get into the nuts and bolts of this. What are what are the hot apparel items? You just talked about a few of them. What are the cool things that uh, that Close Talk uh, is starting to uh, get into these days? Thanks, Shalom. We have done our research over so many years, and we've realized we broke it down to 13 types of apparel, really by messing it up for years. And I think that's the key for any entrepreneur. Don't be um, disappointed or discouraged if you mess things up. This is part of it. That's how you learn and you rule things out. And the 13 that are left that we have not ruled out is everything from yoga pants to T-shirts to track jackets. We have long sleeve and short sleeve T-shirts. Um, polos um, work well. Um, hats, we have three different types of hats, from truckers to adjustable to fitted hats. Um, but we pick brands that are really high quality. That's the key. You know, I mean, the 13 items are the 13 items, but the quality has to be good or you don't get someone that wants to wear it. It's got to really check four quick boxes. It's got to be, they think it's cool and they like the logo. The materials are high quality. They think it's comfortable. They think they look good in it, and they last and forth. They believe in what the brand stands for. Johnny, real Go quick, can you share the website? Because um, I want to make sure we, we send people that way. 100%. C-L-O-Z-Talk.com. Like their clothes are talking for a good cause, something that matters. Well, you have certainly uh, you know a thing or two about good causes. Johnny Immerman, founder of Immerman Angels. Check him out online. Close Talk, Immerman Angels. We appreciate you coming on the air. We'll be back in just a moment. But again, uh, thank you, Johnny Immerman, for joining us on the air. Shalom. Thanks, buddy. Be well. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Some fantastic conversations uh, so far with Jennifer Amder-Spitz and, of course, Johnny Immerman. Um, but now I am thrilled uh, to be joined uh, by Corey Angelin, um, who is the author of a brand new book, uh, Sell Out, How a Great Experience Can Help You Sell Out of Your Product. Um, thank you so much for joining me on the air. Absolutely. I'm very excited to be with you. Absolutely. So you are an award-winning fitness professional and two-time published author. Um, tell us uh, a little bit about the story behind uh, the book and, and how you had that aha moment and that discovery uh, that now, of course, you're looking to teach others about. Great, great question. So, I mean, ultimately, I believe that just in general, we all sell too much, right? And it doesn't really matter what industry you're in. I happened to grow up in the fitness industry and had a lot of success there. And what I learned is really a really good trainer is probably one of the best salespeople in any industry because ultimately we're tasked with selling a vision, right? In other words, if you go to buy a watch, you could put the watch on, you could feel the watch, you could see the watch, but a trainer, really what we're trying to do is you know, sell a dream or a vision that we're able to do with it. You can't really see it. So what I had to do was learn through trial and error, you know, how to be successful at, at sales. And really for me, you know, as I go around to different stores uh, in the mall, for example, and you hit those kiosks, you really learn that people sell too much. And I believe that if you just build a customer relationship, build that rapport, 
you'll be a lot more successful in sales in general. Sure. So, uh, Corey, you have uh, certainly uh, shared a lot of advice, and, of course, we're going to make sure we we direct our listeners to the book um, because we don't want to share it all now, but uh, I'm, I'm curious <laughs> to get into some of the, uh, some of the tactics. How do you ask a, uh, a potential customer the right questions that make them feel comfortable and not pushed? How do you develop that relationship that you just talked about? Yeah, perfect. I mean, that, that's really the key. And, and here's the secret, right? I learned that in order to make a great customer experience, you have to ask great questions, but here's what great questions can do. It can do three different things. One, you could ask a great question that can plant a seed. Um, so, for example, let's just use a fitness uh, example for, for this uh, point. I would say something, instead of saying, like, hey, are you interested in buying personal training? Because the first thing you would think of then is, well, how much does that cost? Mm-hmm. And that's not something you want to interject in the middle of a conversation. But planting a seed still gets you to the same point without actually mentioning personal training. So I might say, well, listen, if you had a program that you were able to use and reach your goals, is that something you would be excited about? Now, that's a very different question because really the question was, would you be excited about it? So one, a great question to plant a seed. So you got to figure out what you sell and then learn how to plant a seed. The second thing you could do, a great question, is overcome an objection. For example, a common objection in any industry would be the customer saying, I want to think about it. Well, a truly great question would sound something like this. So listen, other than yesterday, when would you really want to start driving this new car you're looking for? And typically the answer is going to be today, (laughs) right? So again, kind of gets you over that hump of someone saying, I want to think about it. And then thirdly, the last thing you want to do in any sales situation is activate the emotional part of their customer's brain. And it's simply by asking them, how would you feel if you had that new watch on today, how would you feel if you were able to have that fitness program today? And really, a feeling question does that. So if you can ask one or all three of those types of questions, you're going to be a lot more successful That's great advice. in getting a sale. I'm so pumped up already. I want to sell something. I know. I can tell. Wow. <laughs> Sunday night, you're ready for a great week, and hopefully you're uh, getting our listeners ready for that as well. Great advice. And why are the worst words a salesperson can hear um, are just looking? Yeah, so uh, the, the funny part is, right, I always tell people when I'm giving a speaking uh, engagement, which is the first thing, go into any store in the mall. First thing a salesperson asks you when they walk up to you is what? What do you think they ask you? Uh, I'm, I'm sure, you know, trying to pitch the product or something like that. Yeah, or like, yeah, well, how can I help you today? Right, of right? course. And 99.9% of us, including myself, we reply with, I'm just looking. Sure. And the reason why we do that is because we don't want to be sold. And we feel like a salesperson is just, they don't even know your name. They don't know what you're looking for. Just how can I help you? And we automatically spit back, um, I'm just looking. Um, but if we really spend some time not thinking about anything having to do with what you're selling, and really just try to engage a person. For me, very often that comes down to a compliment, right? So I walked into a footlocker many years ago. The first thing the guy did when he came up to me, the guy that worked there would say, hey, nice sneakers you have on. And he actually knew the make and the model of the Nikes I was wearing. So instead of saying, hey, how can I help you today? It was simply a compliment. And what a compliment does right off the bat is just disarm you a little bit, right? Yeah. You're a little bit more open-minded to talk to the person. So that's sort of one of the great tricks to do as a salesperson is, Forget about what you're selling for a second and try to connect 
with that customer. And at the end, of course, you're going to talk about what you're selling and how much it costs, but it doesn't have to be with, with right out of the gate with what you're leading with. Well, very, very impressive tips. Uh, Corey Angelin, you are an award-winning fitness professional, two-time published author. Um, you've written the book, Sell Out, How a Great Experience Can Help You Sell Out of Your Product. Um, Corey, real quick, how can people learn more? Sure, just go to CoreyAngelin.com, K-O-R-Y-A-N-G-E-L-I-N.com, and uh, be amazed by uh, all of my great uh, specific uh, tactics for how to be better in, in, in whatever industry I'm already are. amazed. Corey Angelin, thanks so much for <laughs> joining us. We'll be on with uh, Dr. Fred Jacobs in just a moment. Chicago, don't touch that dial. Listen, get down to business. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to Get Down to Business. Remember, you can download podcasts from the show on my website, shalomkline.com. That's also where you can uh, purchase a copy of my new book, uh, Get Down to Business, where I share uh, many of the tips, advice, and strategies that we talk about every week on the program. Uh, Be sure to follow me on Facebook and Twitter uh, while you're on the website as well. Um, So I'm thrilled to be joined by a returning guest, uh, Dr. Fred Jacobs. Um, Dr. Jacobs, thank you so much for joining me on the program yet again. Yes, thank you for having me. Absolutely. So um, a recent study uh, came out, and and I know that you and some of your colleagues have been very involved in the process. It used to be that there was one primary care physician um, for every every 3,000 people. By the year 2030, uh, the report shows that America could face a shortage of 121 thousand doctors on uh, dr jacobs that's uh, a staggering number and certainly not something um that uh that's good news um tell us a little bit about the research and and some of the uh some of the the steps that that you and your colleagues uh, are suggesting right well uh, unfortunately the numbers are probably true and uh you know data regarding physician supply uh, has been controversial over the years and at one time there was a projection that there was going to be a doctor surplus and then there was a doctor shortage. But this data is basically uh, founded on the number of doctors reaching retirement age, the demand for uh, physician services, because number one, the population in the United States is getting older. Baby boomers are coming up or at retirement age and are uh, requiring more medical services. Um, the demographics of the physician workforce has changed dramatically. Uh, about half of the uh, graduates, maybe even more than half, of, uh, of medical schools now are women. Um, my daughter's a woman doctor. I'm not saying anything negative about that, but they have many, many different balls in the air. They have families to take care of and, and uh, you know, kids and uh, households to run and practicing medicine. It's not like the old days where a doctor worked 80 hours a week and he was thought to be a martyr. Uh, that's gone. Uh, so that the work hours are fewer and the uh, demographics have changed and demand is greater. And there you are. So there will be uh, a doctor other- shortage and we know that. And one of the things that I know uh, you and I have talked about previously on the program mm-hmm. is that well, perhaps one of those solutions are international medical graduates. Let's talk a little bit about that and why that potentially can help address that doctor shortage. Right. Well, as you know, uh, I, I work for St. George's University, which is the largest medical school in the, uh, in the world in terms of the number of students that graduate and go into first year residency positions, that is postgraduate training in the United States. Last year, we, we, uh, gra- we uh, uh, actually placed about 940 
first-year residency position in the United States, by far the largest of any other medical school in the world. Now, uh, international medical students compete with uh, U.S. medical students um, on a relatively un uneven playing field, although they take the exactly the same uh, medical qualifying exams. Um, but there are differences in how they uh, apply and what programs they, they actually can get accepted to. Um, the, the number of applicants to, to residency uh, positions is not low. It's higher, uh, much higher than the number of residency positions that are available. And residencies are required for licensure in every state in the United States. So you can't just graduate from medical school and expect to practice medicine. You must take postgraduate training. That's not a bad thing. But there just aren't enough residency positions in the United States because they are funded from the Medicare program, which requires a uh, increased appropriation from Congress. And we know that's not easy, right? So uh, we need to increase the number of residency positions. International medical graduates, I'm talking about highly qualified international medical graduates, can fill those spots uh, without increasing the number of state-funded or privately-funded domestic medical schools. Increasing the number of medical schools doesn't solve your problem. Increasing the number of residency positions over the long haul does, plus the, the percentage of the students that actually go into primary care. ARC school, about 70% of the students who graduate go into primary care. Domestically, the U.S. schools is about 40%. So there's a huge difference in, um, in the culture, basically, of the, of the students who graduate and what they want to do with their professional lives. Wow. Um, so uh, and you've already talked a little bit about how quality uh, will not be uh, will not be jeopardized. What uh, what is the reaction from the um, from the American medical community? I know that, uh, again, there was a recent uh, uh, op ed and and a piece uh, published uh, on the uh, Association of American Medical Colleges. Um, what are some of your colleagues uh, across the United States uh, saying about this suggestion? Are they supportive? What are the obstacles and barriers? It's hot and cold. Uh, you know, um, I think people would remember if they've been in this line of work for a while that there was a time when the U.S. medical establishment, the medical education establishment, the Association of American Medical Colleges were very hostile to the concept of foreign medical graduates coming in to the U.S. And it was it was basically that they were concerned about the unverifiability if there's such a word, of the quality of the medical education that those students received and the lack of uniform assessment before they actually got into practice. Well, all of that has changed dramatically. Um, the top medical schools overseas, some of them are, the, uh, are some of the most uh, highly respected medical schools in the world. I mean, in Europe and in the Middle East and places like that. And St. George's. St. George's... Um, has a pass rate on the United States Medical Licensing Exam, the first part of it, that's exactly the same. Do Dr. The Jacobs, US I'm going to have to leave it there, um, but I'm going to encourage our listeners, of course, to uh, learn more. Dr. Fred Jacobs from St. George's University. You could read more on the Association of American Medical Colleges. We'll be right back and Get Down to Business. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey, welcome back, Chicago. You're listening to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Great lineup of guests. I always feel this way at the end of a, a great show. Uh, we chatted with Jennifer Amder Spitz, 
um, uh, regarding some marketing and communication strategies. Johnny Immerman from Close Talk, a great, uh, great new business with a social mission. Uh, we chatted with Corey Angelin regarding his new book on selling. And of course, uh, Dr. Fred Jacobs regarding the doctor shortage, which is certainly something that we all need to be paying close attention to. You could get on my website, shalomkline.com, download podcasts from uh, any show. Um, we are approaching our five-year anniversary on the air, which just seems crazy when I think about it. Um, and uh, certainly now as we are, believe it or not, in December, uh, I do want to wish, obviously, all of our listeners that are celebrating a happy Hanukkah, um, Merry Christmas, happy holidays, whatever holiday you're celebrating, it's that season, and uh, certainly we all feel it. And speaking of end of the year, uh, I, I know that I've talked about in the past about how at the end of the year, um, whether it's the last quarter of the year, but certainly now the final month of the calendar year, uh, you should be getting ready for the year ahead, whether that means financial records, getting things in order, uh, whether it means networking and, and really uh, making sure you're showing uh, uh, appreciation to your employees, to your customers. We've talked about some of those strategies. Um, we talked about how to grow your business at the end of the year, that it's not a time that you need to give up. But uh, today I want to focus on customer service. And we talked a little bit about that earlier in the program uh, in, with some of our guests. When it comes to creating a great experience for our customers, you need to ask the question, what do our customers want? Delivering service based on their expectations is key to our success. Fortunately, there are companies out there crunching the numbers for us and providing valuable insights. So uh, there are some really good statistics that are out there in customer service, and they should be influencing your actions. There's no disputing that customer expectations have been changing. And if you uh, go on my website, I'll uh, make sure to share um, something from customer service guru Denise Williams um, that talks a little bit about uh, frontline staff receiving commuter, uh, customer service uh, training. 78% of surveyed customers say that competent customer service staff are most responsible for a happy customer service experience. E-consultancy reported that customers re- prefer to receive customer support over the following channels. Phone, 61%. Email, 60%. Live chat, 57%. Online knowledge base, 51%. And click-to-call support automation, 34%. Um, Remetrics reported that repeat customers spend 300% more and consistently purchase more over time than new customers. In addition, repeat customers will refer 50% more people to your business than one-time buyers with 80% of your future profits coming from 20% of current customers. And the final tip that I wanted a uh, fact or statistic that I wanted to share with our listeners tonight is that 40% of customers will abandon an online transaction. If their questions or concerns are not addressed quickly and 74% of customers are likely to switch brands. If they find the purchasing process too difficult. So this is a good time of year to start focusing or continue focusing uh, as the case may be on your customer service strategies. Remember if you want to ensure that your customers will come back to you in 2019, you got to make sure that they're having a great experience and the data and the statistics speak for themselves. Again, I'll be posting uh, some of that information um, really, really uh, great uh, data that you can be paying attention to. And whether you own a big business or a small business, this is the time of year to focus on uh, on your customers, on your employees, on your business overall. So uh, once again, you could get on my website, shalomkline.com, um, to uh, to download podcasts from Get Down to Business. You can also uh, learn more about the book that just came out, Get Down to Business. I'm celebrating a uh, the five years of being on the radio uh, on this program, Get Down to Business, and you can learn more about that event next week, uh, December 10th, and purchase a copy of the book. It's available on Amazon.com. It's called Get Down to Business. You can't miss it. 
Can't forget it. Same name as the as the program. And also learn about our Get Down to Business trips that's coming up in February. Um, lots of information on that. We are powered by our good friends at Tandem HR, your solution center. Give them a call, 630-928-0510, 630-928-0510. To success, let's get down to business. We'll talk to you next Sunday at 6 p.m. Happy Hanukkah to all those celebrating. And uh, let's get down to business and make this week a successful week. Thanks for tuning in. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.